This morning we're going to get our, uh, guide our comments from Isaiah chapter 9. We're leaving it a little bit dim in the room so that you can see our beautiful candles that they're on and so forth. So you may not be able to read unless you have a little telephone, I mean a telephone with a light. Don't do that. Just trust me, I will read the scriptures accurately and it'll be on the screen. But here's the key concept for today. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail. We've been looking at the songs of Christmas throughout the Advent season, considering uh, the themes that are embedded in our Christmas songs that we sing. And today, the song that we're going to concentrate on is a song that was written on Christmas Day about Christmas Day, and it's the song we began with uh, earlier in the service, I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow was uh, the, the author of the poem that turned into that song. And by the time he wrote that poem, he was already a well-known Harvard literature professor. He was known in academic circles. He was a respected writer and poet. One of his most well-known poems is Paul's Revere, Paul Revere's Ride. You remember that one? Listen, my children, and you shall hear the midnight ride of Paul Revere. But his life, Longfellow's life, was filled with tragedy at this period of his life. In 1861, his wife burned to death as, you know, those big hoop skirts they used to wear? It caught on fire, and she burned to death. And he was grieving that uh, situation when our nation went to war because the Civil War started that year, and his 17-year-old son ran away from home and joined the Union Army. His father lost touch with him until November 27th, 1863. His son was wounded in the Battle of New Hope Church, Virginia. And as soon as his son was able to be moved, Longfellow had him brought back to Cambridge, Massachusetts, where he nursed him back to health. And it was on Christmas Day, 1863, that Henry wrote this poem. But it's set against the background of the Civil War and, and his own personal suffering. And so the poem is a bit of a journey. It's a journey through doubt that peace will ever be found. The poem wonders if the sounds of war will indeed drown out the songs of praise. Verse uh, 4 says, hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill toward men. And actually, the poem is a little darker than we know, because when the poem was set to music, some of the verses were left out, like this one that says, Then from each black accursed mouth the cannon thundered in the south, and with the sound the carols drowned of peace on earth, goodwill to men. But the poem comes around to a grand realization. Yet peal the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor does he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail. With peace on earth, goodwill to men. Peace. Peace comes in a person. And the prophet Isaiah pointed that out to us in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, when he says this. 
For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace. There will be no end. Can you imagine a world of total peace? No war, no fighting, no arguments, no disputes. None of us can actually imagine that because we have never experienced that. I read recently that in recorded history, we know of 14,351 wars with death toll over 3 billion over the course of history. This past November, the U.S. government was estimating that 200,000 military deaths had occurred by that time in Ukraine, and they weren't able to count the deaths from the atrocities that have been committed among the civilian population. I look around the world and I say, we haven't come very far from 1863, and often in our homes, peace cannot be found. Police officers tell us that the call that is most dangerous is the ones they call the domestic disturbance, the most dangerous for them. Peace is hard to find. I read about an elderly couple who lived by this time in their life in a nursing home. They'd been married for 60 years, and all throughout their 60-year marriage, they had constant arguments, disagreements, shouting contests, these kinds of things. And when they moved into the nursing home, those fights didn't stop. They just continued, but now they were living in close quarters with other people. And it became so bad that the nursing home staff said, listen, if you guys can't work this out, we're going to need to get uh, have you leave. We're going to throw you out of the nursing home. And even at that point, the couple couldn't agree what to do. And finally, the wife turned to her husband and said, I'll tell you what, Joe, let's just pray that one of us dies. <laughs> and she paused and she said, and after the funeral, I'll move in with my sister. <laughs> we lack peace. But Isaiah says God has a plan for peace, a plan that will prevail, a plan that's announced by the angels. In Luke chapter 2, suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom His favor rests. Peace is proclaimed. That Hebrew word, shalom, is proclaimed. We translate that word peace. And on the surface, it means no war, but really the word is deeper than that. It's, it has a larger meaning. It's not just the absence of war, but it's the presence of wholeness. It's the presence of health, harmony. It's a presence of completion and inner calm. That is the kind of peace that Jesus brings. But the problem is, all too often, we talk about wanting peace, but we don't want the prince who brings the peace. We don't want the rule of the prince. The very first thing we need to understand is to have peace, to be people of peace. We need the ruler who brings the peace. Micah 5.5 says, he will be their peace. Peace comes in a person, in Jesus Christ. If we leave him out... We may talk about peace, but we will not have peace. I read recently about a historically Christian 
denomination, religious group. They are redefining what they stand for, redefining their, their, their theology. A spokesman for the group says this, the sad fact is that the name Jesus Christ has become for many exclusionary. So they are now working to combine Hinduism, Buddhism, Bible verses, and other ideas to come up with something that they can preach that they feel is more conducive to today's climate. That same spokesman went on and said, we are enabling people to discover God themselves, maybe through Jesus, maybe through Buddha, through any number of ways. And the motivation is, to some degree, to bring peace. We don't want people to be upset. We want people to be soothed and comforted and accepted. We want everybody to think it's okay. But when you miss the prince, you miss the peace. I'm reminded of Jeremiah 6, 14. God speaks through the prophet and he says this, they dress up the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, where there is no peace. You will not get true peace without the source. True peace has a purpose to enable us to live in fellowship with God, and it comes through repentance and submission to Christ as our Lord and Savior. We need to change the questions that we ask. We need to change the questions away from what can I get from Christ to how can I live for Christ, see Him the ruler of my life, and realize then as He rules in me the peace that He will bless me with. We don't get it from demanding or, or bargaining or redefining. Listen to Paul's description of the one who brings us peace. In Colossians 1, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. The Prince of Peace is God Himself. He makes the invisible God visible to us. God came to us in a way that we could relate to Him. The Creator comes to the creation. The firstborn above creation, Paul calls Him. In antiquity, that was the, the, the way to express supreme rank. Firstborn, the Prince. And Paul continues, Verse 19, for God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. And that peace is offered to us by the Prince, but it cost Him His blood. And what we get is peace with God. Jesus makes peace with God possible. We can't possibly find peace with God until we solve our deepest problem. We are separated from God due to our sin, and at the cross, Jesus solved that problem by taking the guilt of our sin on Himself. And the only way that peace could be established between us and God was, in a sense, for that moment, having Jesus go to war with God. Because he took on sin, he became sin. God the Father didn't hate the Son, but he hated the sin. That was causing him to suffer. And Jesus took that initiative for us out of love. And he did that before you wanted him to do it. He did that before you ever knew you'd need salvation or hope. God had already worked the solution. He already had it in mind from eternity past. And sometimes 
We walk past that thought, not giving it a care. But then difficulty comes. Suffering comes. And often it is through the difficulty that our eyes are opened to what we really have in an eternal relationship with God. Nancy Kennedy has written a book, and the title of the book is The Not-So-Terrible-Horrible-Very-Bad Year. And here's what she writes. I'm going to read just a little portion of it. She says, I'm sitting yet in another hospital waiting room. Ever since my husband, Barry, first underwent open-heart quadruple bypass surgery 15 months ago, I've been in this waiting room or one just like it more times than I can count on one hand, waiting for him to come out of the operating room. A little more than a year's time, and my vocabulary now has increased to include words and phrases such as aneurysm, atrial fib, EP study with ablation. With all Barry's surgeries and procedures, we've had a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad year, one of the worst years in our 32 years of marriage. Yet, ironically, this has turned into the best year. Because I came to faith in Christ three years after Barry and I married, and for almost 30 years, I prayed about my husband's relationship with the Lord. And then Barry had to undergo open-heart surgery. And before the surgery, at his bedside, he told me that if he died, he knew that I would see him again because he had turned his life over to Jesus there in that hospital room. What I asked of God all these years to heal the spiritual rift in my marriage, to bring my husband and me close to God, both of us together, he performed it all. He performed heart surgery on us both. We've had a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad year, but I praise God for it. Because in times of suffering, we find Peace can be found, peace with God through Jesus. And through Jesus, we find peace within. John 16, 33 says this, I've told you these things so that in me you can have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. This kind of peace is not at mercy of the circumstance. This kind of peace lasts through the difficulty. Billy Graham used to use the illustration of once seeing a little bird nestled in a crevice of a large rock at the the seashore, and that rock was exposed to waves that were crashing over the other side of the rock, but the bird in the crevice on the reverse side was fast asleep with its head tucked under its wing. Why? Because the bird was secure in the rock, and you are secure in the rock, Jesus Christ. So often the opposite of that is our experience. All around us today, you know what the word is that I hear more than any other and much more than any other time? The word is anxiety. We're talking about anxiety. I'm reading articles about anxiety and stress. And the relief of anxiety and stress is big industry all of a sudden. The little balls that you can buy and squeeze at your desk when your boss is stressing you out. The punching bags that you punch when circumstances are overwhelming you. CDs that you listen to that are supposed to bring anxiety and stress-relieving sounds. I once was given an alarm clock. It was supposed to de-stress you 
Instead of a buzzer that went on when the time came, it was an all-natural sound of a bubbling water, a babbling brook. It was way too soothing. I never woke up. <laughs> too much soothing. But a major symptom of our age is the inability to find peace, the inability to simply be peaceful by ourselves in solitude and not be worrying. We can't sit still, it seems. We're constantly feeding something inside of us that just keeps us going. But when the prince is there, peace will be found, and it'll change things. Oswald Sanders says, peace is not the absence of trouble, but it's the presence of God, inner peace. And that brings peace with others, the ability to be at peace with others. It changes the way we relate to others. I saw a cartoon once, a Peanuts cartoon. Remember Lucy's and Charlie Brown? And Lucy has a dark cloud over her head. And she's walking in the, on the sidewalk and just a big frown on her face. And she sa she's saying to Charlie Brown, I hate everybody. I hate everybody. I hate the whole wor wide world. And Charlie Brown says, but Lucy, I thought you had inner peace. And Lucy replies, I do have inner peace but I have outer obnoxiousness. <laughs> there are people like that, I suppose. But the fact is, when you actually have inner peace, you will not have outer obnoxiousness. Jesus heals the divisions. He brings things together. It's in Jesus that race division melts away, color melts away, ethnic background melts away, language barriers melt away. We are all citizens of God's household when the prince lives within. And the secret to peace between people in a warring world, the secret that we need to be the ones to say is we have to submit to a common leader. We have to submit to Christ. In Him we find eternal peace and a new perspective towards one another because He is the ongoing ruler. And when you find His peace, you will be able to be at peace with one another. But it's a choice. It's a choice to submit to Him, to let the prince reign. So, when despair tries to take you under, choose hope. When you wonder what God could possibly be thinking about in the circumstances of life, choose trust. When you desperately want relief, choose perseverance. When you feel oppressed by disappointment, choose gratitude. When you want to keep your feelings in, bottled up, choose vulnerability to your brothers and sisters. When nothing goes according to your plans, choose to relinquish your plans. When you want to point the finger, choose forgiveness. When you want to go it alone in pride, choose the rule of the humble prince. And what you will find, that he's the prince of peace, and peace will rule in your hearts. Yet peal the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor does he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth goodwill toward men. Let's pray together. Lord, we desperately need your peace. We are so encouraged by the words, the wrong shall fail. When we go home this afternoon and turn on our televisions, 
We see the news or we read the news, we will see wrong. But Lord, ultimately, you will triumph. Ultimately, you are the victor. And you bring peace that passes understanding beyond circumstances. And Lord, that's what we crave and that's what we need. So we pray that we would submit to you. We pray that we would choose you. And as we do so, we pray that we would be bringing peace in our homes, in our relationships, the people that we're with. We pray we are the peacemakers, that we start the peace we wish to see. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.